0: Welcome to the Mentium Matters Podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. This is Solveig Brown, and I am thrilled to have Zoa Norman as my guest today. Zoa and I will be talking about executive presence and specific techniques that people can use to expand their executive presence. Zoa will also share some of her tips on being a better communicator and presenter, as well as advice for managing up. We will also cover many other great topics. Before we begin, I would like to give you all a little background information on Zoa. Zoa is the Director of Client Success at ADP, a worldwide leader in human capital management. She has held executive leadership positions for organizations ranging from 50 million to 26 billion in annual sales. She is an expert in strategic and collaborative leadership and has helped organizations create high-performing teams, accelerate sales growth, achieve profit and revenue turnaround and increase retention. Zoa has served on several nonprofit boards and has been a dedicated mentor for Mentium since 2005. Welcome, Zoa. Thank you so much,
1: Solve. I'm I'm really honored that you asked me to participate in this podcast because although this has become somewhat cliche, I think all these topics we'll be discussing today are a journey. I don't think any of us ever arrive at that perfect place where we give ourselves hundred percent on all those things and so the key thing that I like to remember is that it's okay if we make mistakes and fail along the way and I would just I bring that up because when you're working to build skill it's important to remember that
0: and that
1: failing
0: can lead you to that next success So that is a great place to start because, like you said, it is a journey. Every day gets a little better. Every day gets a little different. And I think that's such a good reminder that you don't learn these skills overnight. They take a lot of practice and daily practice, and you may not get them all right at once. So thank you for that. Zoa, so, uh, you have been a longtime mentor for Mentium, and you have also given back in so many other ways through your volunteer work and your involvement on various nonprofit boards. Why are you so passionate about mentoring and giving back? From a
1: personal perspective, I honestly think it's it's almost in my DNA. My father was a pastor, and so was his father. And so I was raised with that's just part of what you do, you give back and you help others. And I learned pretty early on that that also gave me a sense of joy and fulfillment. So I think that that's my personal perspective on it. And from a business perspective, I have learned that, uh, you know, you hear the expression, if you can help others get what they want, you will get what you want. I think it's bigger than that. Like if I can understand what motivates people, what they're really working to do and also their skills, then as a leader I can help them be successful. And those relationships, whether it's formal mentoring or not, have been lifetime relationships and close friendships for me. And when people say, you know, what are you the most proud of, it's The career success that Rob has had or the career success that Sandy has had and that small part that I may have played in it uh, is is really what drives me to get up in the morning.
0: That is such a great perspective. I love how you talk about the joy, you know, the joy of helping others, the joy of being able to give back and just the, also the family messages around that that's what you do. You help lift other people up, you know, as part of your journey. Um, So in your work mentoring, you are committed to people development and helping people realize an easier path to success. Can you tell me more about your leadership style and how you bring out the best in those around you? Sure. And I I
1: would put this in the context of most of my roles have been turnarounds or startups. So uh, either way, you're not, uh, I haven't ever been assigned to an organization or a mission where everything was going beautifully and everyone was a high performer. <laughs> so I'll just that's so that's the lens with which I come today. And my perspective is what's really important to meet the goals of the organization is to understand first how each person can contribute. What are their individual skills? And uh, typically, I have one-on-one meetings with key leaders in the organization, and then I may have some small group, three or four, or two or three people, but talk about what their role is, why they like it, why they don't like it, uh, what their skills are, and what they want to achieve and why. And and I'll give you a couple of examples because I think that's easier to relate to that. Uh, and this has been years ago, but I was assigned to open up a market for a very large corporation. It was a brand new market. And I was given a few people to help me with that. I, I fondly look back and call it the Bad News Bears team because most of them had been very low at best performers for five plus years. And so I met with each one of them. I assessed what their skills were and also understood what they wanted. Like for example, one person who is in sales was never making his numbers. And I learned that he had recently gotten married to a woman that had a child. So they wanted to buy a home he wanted to make sure that she didn't have to work so that because they wanted to have another baby and he also wanted to go to what it was our top summit uh, recognition event within the company. It was a very elite group that was awarded this. That's what he wanted. And sitting there that day listening to him, I could have just laughed it off because there was nothing about his performance to date that indicated he could do that. But I understood what his skills were, what drove him. And two years later, he did, he did make that summit and received the recognition award. So, and it was really based on just recalibrating how he thought about what he was doing. And then there was also someone that worked for me that just wasn't performing. And what I learned, he wasn't concerned about himself. He really cared about the team. He was the oldest child in his family, and I think that just carried over from, he was kind of the big brother to everyone. And so he was able to get his performance to uh, what was an acceptable level. He never went above that, but he never went below that. But what he did is really pull that team together so that we actually, we made our financial targets after 18 months. And this is a group of people that had never done anything like that before. And and really, I look at that like it was great that we, you know, were number one of markets in the company. That was wonderful. And we made profit, revenue, client satisfaction, client retention. But again, personally, what was really gratifying was the team that we built and those relationships with people.
0: Yes, that is a powerful story of showing how you can really drive change within someone that drives change in the organization. So I, th- I think you really articulate well the value of understanding people, of talking to people, of, of, of seeing what their motivations are, seeing what their skills are, and you as their manager coaching them and helping them figure out how they can best utilize those in the team. And then, you know, the stories you just told are just marvelous examples of how you can create tremendous success. Like in the first example, no one would have anticipated that as you told the story, you just, you just like, Oh yeah. And that was kind of a wild goal that that person had. And lo and behold, it was achievable. So it also shows the importance of not selling anyone short and of believing that, people can bring out the best in them and they can do their best. So Zoa, executive presence is a skill that many mentees would like to develop. And I know that you have helped countless mentees work on this skill um, in your mentoring partnership with them. So what techniques have you taught your mentees for how they can expand their executive presence?
1: First, I want to say it's dramatically changed over the past 18 months and primarily because of the pandemic and we're all communicating on video and we cannot come across the same on video or we don't come across the same on video as we do in person and so there are things that I mean one of the things that I do and this is very difficult for people listening because they can't see, you know, our verbal movement, but I have people role play with me. And, but I reverse the role play. And I play the part of how I've seen them interact and have them be the listener and observer of that. And if you can ask someone that you trust, that it's a peer, your manager, you know, maybe it's just a trusted advisor outside of your organization. If you can ask them to do this with you, I think it's really helpful. One particular time when I did this really stands out to me because the CEO of this company had asked me if I would work with one of his senior vice presidents on her executive presence. And I said, well, can you give me any examples of know what you think is difficult or what's not working and he said I I don't know she's just goofy and so I I met with her and you know the good news is she was very receptive to some coaching actually and so we did the role play and she really had no idea that here's this person that was incredibly accomplished had all this talent and knowledge and she showed up and some of the things she would do would be kind of slump down in her chair and sort of lay back, if you will, and listen. And then she practiced and she talked about, she had to testify in front of a government agency. And believe it or not, even in that high risk situation, she decided to try out what we had worked on. And she did. But the other thing is the art of the pause. And I do think that is one of the single most important things you can do. And and I say that because especially, like, I I have a softer voice. But you want to make sure that you speak slowly enough and articulately enough that what you're saying, people think is important. And because if you think it's important and you're taking those split second or longer pauses, the listeners are going to be attentive. And so you have their attention, but sometimes there is a moment where you really don't know what to say you don't know how to respond, you think you should have the answer, and you need a little bit more brain time to come up with that, and so one of the things that I find helpful is to repeat the question and say it slowly, and then say, am I understanding that, and then if you're uncomfortable with what I'm about to tell you, you can do what I first did when I started doing this and that was I would uh, I actually would have glasses on for this and at the time I didn't need glasses I wore them for what I'm about to tell you but I would remove my glasses after I repeated the question and I would put my head down for a minute and then I would take a breath and I would respond and I still do that without the, without the eyeglasses gesture, but it gives me that time to compose myself. And especially in some of these situations, we're under a lot of pressure. I mean, it might be, we're talking about a merger or acquisition. We're talking about something that's really not going well and opinions are quite diverse and there's conflict. So That brings you that sense of I'm, I'm the voice of reason, the voice of calm, and I'm going to help drive us toward change or resolution. So those are some of the things Solveig that I have found to be quite helpful.
0: That is great advice. I love the physical cues. I love the art of the pause. Can you talk more about some of the, I want to go in more depth, all of this. So let's, go back to the physical presence. So you said people's posture is important. When you slouched in your chair, your voice changed. I thought that was so interesting. The way you spoke also changed because of your posture. And for those of you just listening to this, I encourage you to go to the Mentium website, find the Vimeo clips of this and you can see the visual of it as well. So you are also an expert communicator and you've talked about the art of the pause and how to give yourself time to think. Do you have tips for how someone can improve their verbal communication skills and how they can improve their presentation skills? Yeah, and I I have some
1: some tips and some things that have worked for me and others. But I also want to say, if this is the journey you're on, don't go into it thinking you have to completely change your personality and not be authentic because I still throw in phrases from my Kansas upbringing that for a lot of people in the English-speaking world have never heard these phrases. And, you know, because I grew up in a small town in Kansas, but it's a big part of me. And when it makes sense, I will use one of those phrases. But, and, and I only use that as an illustration that, Don't forget, you are in that conversation for a reason. It's because you are you. So I think if you are struggling with getting your point across, Toastmasters is always one of the best things that you can do is join a Toastmasters group. And there you get to give and receive peer feedback on your speaking. And, and that includes your physical as well as your verbal. Uh, another thing is Dale Carnegie has some excellent classes on confidence building, public speaking, etc. And again, it's more of a peer relationship you have with classmates. But I have seen people grow so much from both of those things. I think Dale Carnegie is a little bit more relaxed. And then another thing is, of course, practicing in the mirror, but asking people for feedback. And after a meeting, you know, select a few people, including your, your your boss, and say, and ask them, how did I come across? Did I make my point? Or I felt like I did a really good job of articulating what we should do, no one commented. And then three minutes later, somebody else said the exact same thing. And everyone said, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And you know, why was I not heard? You know, do you have a sense of that? And and see what they say. Because it, they probably noticed it, but they had the same reaction. And and so help, having that specific feedback can be really helpful. And then taking that a step further and asking those same two or three people or person in the next meeting that you attend with them, let them know, I'm going to try some new types of communication. Would you be willing to give me feedback on, did you notice a difference from the last time we talked about? Was it improved? And, and just, you know, be a bit of a guide and a advisor for me. And because m- most people have, it's in their nature, they want to help. And they're also a little bit flattered that you ask them to be an expert for you. Uh, and that helps tremendously. And, and then I would, I would end with, when I started in the industry I'm currently in, it was quite different than my former industry. And the dialogue in my former industry was sales and marketing people. And we talked really quickly. We talked fast. We said, let's do this. no, let's do this. Okay, I'm going to write it on the whiteboard. There it is. What do you think? And that's what I was used to. I am now in an industry of HR and financial leaders who don't speak like that. And I quickly learned when I took a sales role in this industry that CFOs simply were shutting down because I was speaking so fast. And and many times, especially if you're talking to a C-level person, they do want a little time to process what you're saying. And so I slowed my speech purposefully. And that's when I started practicing the art of the pause and I noticed the same exact CFO or CIO reacted differently to the same words I'd said two months ago because I was speaking slowly and I was pausing both so that we could all think about our conversation but also so that they had a chance to respond And I think when you don't do that, you might very well be missing that brief second they need before they're going to tell you something that's a real nugget and really helpful information.
0: Thank you for sharing that and for those really great specific examples of how you can continuously improve that by getting feedback from people, and then how you can start even looking at your own speech and noticing different reactions you get based on speed, pauses, and so many other things. You know, you touched too about, you know, talking to senior leadership, and that's another area that many mentees are working on, which is, you know, their ability to manage up. So what, suggestions do you have for someone trying to learn how to manage up better?
1: Um, well, the first thing that's been really successful for me and uh, many leaders that I interact with agree with this, uh, open with what you want. Like, that's your lead. You don't need to lead up to it because you can lose your audience. So start with, uh, I'd like to get your opinion on X or would you be willing to X or will you approve X? And then following that, you very succinctly list your supportive, if you will, argument. And I don't mean argument, but it, in the real t- uh, definition it is argument because you're asking them for something or you want them to walk away with something and most conversations at a leadership level involve some level of persuasion so you want to lead with what you want and then many times I will write out over and over what my points are and I continue to and like x that one out oh that one really works that one really is part of this one so that i can pair that message down to three to five bullets and that uh, i'd say that is critical for especially like c-level executive communication because they do not have a lot of time and trust me they want you to get to your point that would be i think key for that type of dialogue and the other thing is you want to watch for their cues because sometimes you ask them something and you don't realize it, that they're not comfortable with that you don't know it beforehand and it could be they're just not the right person you thought they were but they're not the right person you should be talking to about that topic And if you sense this unease, I would say take a pause and ask about it. Is this something you would prefer that I speak to someone else about? Is a good question to ask. Or is this a topic that it's not a good time to discuss? Would there be a better time? Because it could be, the reason could be something confidential and they don't want to tell you what that is. So you don't want to get too specific. The other thing is, if the subject is you're asking them for feedback about yourself and your career. And I'll give you an example. Um, So I was talking with someone, and she is aspiring to be at the C suite level, and currently she reports into the C suite. And so She felt like she was definitely going to get the job. And and it was a CFO job. She felt like she was definitely going to get it. And I said, I asked her if she had received feedback from the current CFO or the CEO about that. I said, are you sure you have their vote? And she wasn't sure. So in having a conversation like that, you want to let that person know exactly what you want like, you know if this job was open today would I have your vote and when you ask a question like that again you pause now there are some executive level folks who don't want to have that type of It's too personal for them or too pushy because maybe they have some negative you know maybe like it could be a conditional yes and they don't want to be the one to deliver the feedback So leave that space open and if you sense that, then you can go to others and say, I had a conversation with the CEO and it was an awkward conversation. Do you have any perspective on that that you could share with me so that I can keep growing my skill? And and I bring this up because of the group we're talking to. I think most of us are constantly, uh, part of our occupation is focusing on our occupation and growing and developing our career. And so I'd say that's probably a frequent conversation that most of us are having is, you know, getting that feedback. Am I a good fit for this role that I aspire to? If not, can you give me some ideas of what the skill gaps are? What I need to make sure that I've achieved before applying for that again? I mean, that's just a piece of it, but I also thought it was relevant given who we're talking with today, Salve
0: yeah, that is totally relevant. Thank you for sharing that great advice. And thanks for giving like specific examples of questions you can ask of when you, because I think people get nervous in the moment. You know, you're talking to a senior leader and then all of a sudden you can, you see that cue where you've said something, and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? And I like how you said, oh, Jen, just go to these questions. And if you have those kind of in your back pocket, if you will, you can just, when you get into that situation, you can just easily use them, even if you're under stress, talking to that. And um, you know, throughout this, I've heard the theme of feedback, of the importance of getting feedback. Um, and you know, the and for this managing up, the importance of being specific about what you want and getting to the point. So, thank you. That that is so so many helpful things, all you know, in one succinct answer. So, Zoa, we have time for three final questions. The first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success?
1: I do they They change because I'm the type of person that uh, I'm always learning something. like I like new things and I love change. But uh, probably the the first best habit I established consciously, was listening to self-development experts and the way it worked out for my schedule it was easiest to do that either while I was getting ready in the morning and while I was on my commute and you know and and some of my personal favorites are still uh, Anthony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Tracy Bryan And there are different reasons I like, all, or Brian Tracy, excuse me, there are different reasons why I like all of these people, uh, including Wayne Dyer, but all of them bring something to, it doesn't matter what's going on, it seems like even though I've listened to that recording over and over and over, wherever I'm at, at that time, I hear something different because I'm relating to it based on what's going on in my life. And I started doing this because I was in a very difficult position where our sales team was really struggling. And I felt like I had so much negative communication coming at me that I just wanted to balance it out to be neutral. And it ended up with a far greater return than that. And then the other thing that I think is really helpful is attending now videos, which used to be, I would go, I would attend in-person conferences with these speakers. And now they're typically one to two hours max, because most of us really uh, are pretty exhausted after two hours on video. But, uh, you know, learning from them and listening and practicing what they're talking to you about and I like to do this for a number of reasons. It takes me out of my day-to-day routine. So there are no stakeholders at all involved. I have no risk. And so I can try things that are easy to try. And, and most of these, com- these type of webinars, I would tell you, are, are structured so that you have breakout groups. And I find that everyone is in the same place we all want to learn and grow we all want to um, you know improve our skills so it's a very comfortable safe place to do that and the other thing i think everybody talks about this why it's really important especially right now during this pandemic and you know racial unrest all the things going on is take care of yourself but there's no one size fits all um we're all different and for example jogging to me is the most torturous thing i could imagine <laughs> but i love swimming and i love walking so and, and it really helps clear my head but whatever it is i think that outlet and right now mine is actually uh walking and swimming but whatever your outlet is Make sure you have one and do something every day, even if it's only for 10 or 15 minutes. And I know a lot of people say, go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. But there are those of us whose job just doesn't accommodate it. Um, You know, we're, as you introduced me, we're a global company. And so I speak with people all over the world, which usually spans 18-hour time zones. And so that doesn't work for me. But uh, I decided to accommodate that. I could find a break in my day where I could take a 20-minute nap. And I don't apologize or tell anybody I'm doing it. I just block that out on my calendar that I'm busy. And that is really refreshing to me. And and I drink a lot of water. And I, I guess the other thing is, making sure I'm constantly practicing these skills that we're talking about. Like if I feel like, oh, I haven't really had one of those difficult conversations for a while, you know, evaluate. Is there an opportunity where that would be valuable? And then reading, I think, and not just reading business books or self-development, but I think it's equally helpful to read. Like I like to read a fiction book once a month. And the reason I say that's important is that that's something that simulates the creative juices in your brain. And that's what helps us solve problems and find difficult solutions and, and really moves our organization forward. Um, another thing would be arts. So I, I think that also does that, whether if you're an artist or one of the things that's really popular now, I actually call doodling, only it's not where we used to just doodle on our paper, uh, free form. Now you can buy these great graphic designs and fill, it in, fill them in with colors. But, and music, whether you participate or listen, I think those are also really good things that, can, that help me certainly um, make sure that I'm always present.
0: Yeah, Zoa. thank you so much for sharing. Those are all such really good ideas for that theme of continuous learning, continuous growth, and also prioritizing taking care of yourself, prioritizing, replenishing, and refreshing yourself in whatever way that might be for you and finding that personal fit. That works, works for you. So thank you for that. Um, So uh, what would your advice be to up and coming leaders?
1: Well, I think it's a great opportunity to share what my favorite, the favorite boss I've ever had, um, his name is Bob Gibbs and he passed away last year, which is specifically why I said his name, because I want to give him credit for what he told me. When he promoted me for the first time into a leadership role, uh, I asked him if he had any advice for me. And he said, just remember, Zoa, not everyone is like you. And we talked about what that meant. And as an individual contributor, I'd been an extremely competitor and high level performer. And my goal is to be always, I'm going to be number one in whatever it was. And many times I was there, but always competing with the top five within that that elite group of people. And that's exactly what he meant. That's not who everyone wants to be. Not everyone is motivated to do that. And you need people that have other skills for a team to work. And, and really look for what is the value and the contribution that each person can make. And how can you work with them so that that fits to drive the overall organizational goals. And so you probably notice I focus a lot on people and individuals. And. Sometimes, if people know my background, they're surprised by that because it looks like a bunch of numbers, right? Like profits increase, revenue increase, sales increase, things like that. And that's just a byproduct. And then the other thing is, I think, in uh, you don't have to have consensus, but you do need buy in. And without that, it's going to be difficult to achieve a goal but I do think you get buy-in by understanding how each person can provide value. And, And then finally, I always make sure that I tell people how each ask, each action that we're taking, how that fits in with the whole. And really one of my pet peeves is when leadership asks people to do something, and they refuse to tell them why or how why is it important you know and because that's what really drives people otherwise they just feel like okay somebody dictated this to me i'm doing it because i have to and if you really if you really want to include them and get maximum productivity from them you want to tell them how their role fits in
0: Thanks for sharing that advice. And I can see how that advice you got early on in your career, you have continued to use that because it goes back to your answer of, you know, one of the earlier questions I asked you of how do you develop people? And, you know, you've figured out what are they individually good at? What motivates them? So um, I I think it's extraordinary how you um, kind of have that follow through throughout your career of all of these topics that we're talking about. So, Zoe, I have time for one final question. Do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto?
1: That's a great one. I mean, certainly the quote from Bob Gibbs about not everyone is like you is probably my favorite. And the the other one is, I never know what someone else's life is like right now and and I say that because many times I hear people talk about the conversation they were in and they're not they're speaking negatively about it and how the other person came across or what they said and you just don't know what happened to them that day and and actually, this is a story from a Wayne Dyer uh, talk, where he said, this father and five young children boarded the subway at 5 a.m. And the teller of this story was on that subway. It was in New York. It was, you know, hardly anyone was on the subway. It was a Sunday morning. And these five children were just really unruly and disruptive and the teller of the story was talking about how it annoyed him and how frustrated he was and he was you know mentally condemning the father for not being able to manage his children and the subway stopped and the father and the five children uh, were exiting the subway and just before the father walked out he turned and looked at the teller of the story and said I want to tell you how much I appreciate your patience with my children and I this morning. We just left the hospital and their mother passed away. And I I know that's a really morbid story, but whenever I start to have a judgment about someone, and I don't mean discussing information, but when I actually am forming a judgment, where I'm saying, you know, neg- we're in my mind I'm, I'm thinking negative thoughts about that person. I'm reminded of that story because it keeps me grounded that I may be having an experience with this conversation that I don't care for, but that doesn't mean this person is a bad person. It doesn't mean anything. It just means right now in this conversation something's not working. But it may not have anything to do with me. So um, I realize it's not a quote,
0: but. No, that's a great example, yeah, of the power of not making assumptions. You know, a lot of times you think you might know what someone else, you know, is thinking or doing, but you really don't know the circumstances to which any individual is responding at any time and, and giving that, that leeway for, you know, whatever that is. Zoa, I cannot thank you enough for coming to talk to us on the Mentium Matters podcast today. Your advice has just been phenomenal. I have taken a page of notes and I can listen to this many times but but I appreciate you know the, you know from what you said at the beginning that it's okay to fail but the important thing is to practice and to keep making the small improvements keep making the incremental gestures keep asking for feedback keep developing learning growing and keep giving back and, and find that joy in helping others on, on your own journey. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to this Mentium Matters podcast. We have many great episodes, and we look forward to seeing you all back next time. Thank you.